Howdy, everyone. If you're online with us here in the center in the chapel, super glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 15. Open up, turn them on. John 15 is where we're jumping into today. And we're in the series called Kingdom Life and looking at the life of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God impacts every part of our lives, including our friendship, friendship with people. Now, I have to confess to you that I have always struggled with friendship. It's been a struggle of mine since I can remember as a little kid to not only make friends, but to keep friends. Distinctly remember as a child, looking at my older brother and my older sister and seeing their friendships and being jealous of the friendships they had. And I remember distinctly my mom praying for me and asking God to give me one good friend. It's been a struggle and I've thought man, I must not be cool enough, I must not be athletic enough, I must not be uh, relatable, or maybe I'm too sarcastic, maybe I'm too intense. Why don't I able to find friendship? Why is it? And what I've been learning over the last number of years with the help of a mentor is that friendship is all about vulnerability, it's all about trust, it's all about love. That you, to have a friend, you have to be vulnerable enough to say, I need a friend have a friend, you have to be willing to trust someone with your hopes and with your fears. To have a friend, you actually have to let someone love you. And I think if we could do that, I think many of us struggle with loneliness and isolation and because we think that love is reserved for romance or love is reserved for family, instead of seeing that love is at the foundation of every relationship, it's the way God wired us, that if we would consider vulnerability and trust and love, then maybe, maybe we could move beyond the loneliness that many of us feel and the desire that we all want to be connected with people if we could love. And so Jesus gives us some advice about this in John chapter 15, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 12 through 17. He gives us some divine perspective on friendship. And it's interesting the way Jesus connects horizontal things and vertical things. And so I think what Jesus is going to show us in this passage is that if we have a vertical friendship and intimacy with God, that starts to translate and work out into horizontal friendship relationships with other people. That this connection we have vertically with God and intimacy in a friendship with God can directly interact and impact our horizontal relationships and friendships. So Jesus in John chapter 15 is at the Last Supper, right? This is, we've been kind of marching through this. He's hanging out with his 11 disciples. He's just hours before he's going to be arrested and crucified. And he's entrusting to them the kingdom of God to carry it on when he leaves. So I just want to jump into verse 9 and then we'll skip to verse 12. Verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He has, Jesus has this eternal intimate relationship with God the Father and He's come to planet Earth to share this intimate divine relationship with us. 
And as Jesus has come vertically down to be with us, he's left heaven and come to earth. Now he lives to please his Father in heaven in this loving, obedient relationship to share this love and this joy and this peace and this kingdom with us horizontally. And now check out what he says about friendship in verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. I don't want you to miss the impact of these words. Jesus says to these guys, you are my friends. I mean, just stop there for a moment and think of this, that Jesus is God in the flesh who's come to earth the sovereign king of all, in every way, everlasting and powerful and omniscient, leaves that joy of heaven, the intimacy of heaven, and comes to planet earth, and he knows his audience. He knows how broken people are. He knows how messed up we are. And the God of the universe in human flesh speaks to these 11 disciples and says, you guys are my friends. Whoa. This carpenter on earth who turns into a rabbi, who travels around Palestine for three and a half years, teaching and preaching and sharing the love of God with people, he's followed by these men for three and a half years. These guys leave everything behind to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to be taught by Jesus. And now, before Jesus leaves, to die and rise again, he says to his disciples, you guys are my friends. Pretty unique. Verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now, now just how do we get, understand this? What does this mean? So just hypothetically, if I graduated high school and I started working for a landscaper, and I worked for a landscaper for two years, and after two years of working with a landscaper, the owner calls me in and says, hey, Joe, I've watched you for two years. You're pretty good at weed whacking. You can build a good wall. You did wrap the truck around the oak tree once. You know, you've messed up. You've made some mistakes. But here's the deal. I wanted to make you a partner. I want to pull you into the business. And he says, I want to start cutting off a share of this business for you. And I look at myself, I go, well, I'm not that great of a guy. Why would you share your, and he goes, let me open up QuickBooks. And he starts showing me all the accounts and all the financial records of the business. And he pulls out the HR files of all the different company employees. And he starts sharing with me all the things. That he's, and then he teaches me how to do estimating and how to do sales and how he does all this construction. And he says, Joe, I want you to be a partner with me in the business, but I don't deserve to be a partner. I've messed up. I've not been the best employee. He goes, no, I have such love for you, such trust in you. And I'm vulnerable enough to say, I don't want you to be an employee anymore. I want you to be my friend and my partner. 
Man, oh man, how great would that be? I don't deserve it. He chooses to decide to share with me his business. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with these disciples. He's saying, I love you and I trust you enough to invite you into everything I know. I have this intimate relationship with God the Father and I want you to know everything about it. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to help advance the kingdom. I'm no longer calling you a servant or an employee. Now I call you friend. I call you partner. And I want you to help me advance my kingdom. And if, if that wasn't enough, he says to him in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So he's saying, you know, this is more than just words, guys. I'm sharing with you the family business. I want you to be a part of advancing my kingdom, but I'm not just speaking words. I'm going to demonstrate to you the full extent of my love. I am going to die for you that there's no greater love than someone being willing to die for their friends. And he says, you guys are my friends, therefore I will die to bring you into this right relationship with God the Father and to help you be a part of this kingdom, this advancement that I'm doing. Incredible. You guys are my friends and I'm going to die for you. Paul in Romans 5, 6, if you want to take this a little bit deeper, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 6 through 8 describes it this way. He says, he says you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, this is the depth of love that Jesus has for his disciples. I love you guys so much that I want to share this intimate relationship, and it's going to cost me my life to die for you so that you have that relationship. Now, sometimes I kind of feel heroic, and I think, well, I'd die for my wife, and I would die for my sons. Like, I think, well, if something was coming up and I had to put my life on the line, I would die for my wife or my kids. I would not die for you, right? <laughs> And you wouldn't die for me. I, I get it. But because dying is this ultimate price of love towards people that deserve that kind of love in relationship. And yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus has done? Like, I wouldn't die for someone who would deny me. I wouldn't die for someone who would betray me. I wouldn't die for someone who ignores me. I wouldn't die for someone who hurt me. I wouldn't die for someone who doubted me, who didn't believe in me. And yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus has done? for his disciples, that this loving Christ dies for people who don't deserve his sacrifice. He's looking at these 11 guys who are going to deny him, betray him, ignore him, doubt him, reject him, wander, fail, fall, let him down, and Jesus says, I love you guys so much, I am going to die for you. Because love doesn't wait to be earned, it doesn't wait to be deserved, it moves towards someone, and it's the love that begins to change people. So Jesus doesn't say, okay guys, clean up your act, if you doubt me again, I won't love you, you gotta do all this stuff right, and then I'll love you. He says, no, I love you, because Jesus knows that that love is the environment that we begin to change. That love comes first, 
and behavior changes second, not the other way around. Love starts this. He first loves us, and he knows this. So in love, he says, guys, I want to bring you into the family business. I'm willing to die to make this happen so that you will be a part of advancing my kingdom. And these disciples have experienced that they've spent three and a half years with Jesus already, right? They've watched him love and care and speak, and they loved him, put it, they, or they watched him put his words into actions. They experienced his profound love. And now at the end, before he goes back to God the Father, he says, gentlemen, you have to do the same thing for each other. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Verse 12, and then again, verse 17, so you don't miss it, gentlemen, this is my command, love each other. I've called you friend. I've welcomed you into the family business. I laid my life down for you so that you can have a relationship with God. I want you to be a part of advancing my kingdom. Now, love other people. And he's specifically talking about loving other followers of Jesus Christ in this context, other people who are following Jesus. So how do we understand this? One theologian describes God's love as like air we breathe. He describes God's love as air that we take into our lungs. And as we take God's love into our lives, it begins to work itself into us, and then we begin to breathe out. So, so maybe just one way of looking at it is, I trust God by breathing in His love. I actually know myself. Don't you know yourself? I know how wicked I am. I know my impure motives. I know my gossip. I know my slander. I know my shortcomings. I know just what a scoundrel I am. I know myself. Trusting God is actually believing that He knows me too and loves me despite myself. That God actually loves me. And I breathe in that love when I trust Him and say, I feel so shameful because I did the same thing again and again and again. I've been working on my language and I failed again. And I'm working on not having impure motives or impure thoughts, but again I failed. Trusting God is actually believing that He loves me enough to forgive me. And I breathe that love in. And Jesus is saying, as you take that love in, obey me by pushing that love out. As I trust your love, I will obey you to share your love. Because if I take a deep breath, think of it. I mean, I can't just hold it in. But how many of us as Christ followers breathe in and desperately want the love of God? We take it into our lungs and then we hold our breath. And what happens when you hold your breath is you die. God wants us to breathe his love in, take it in, allow it to work itself into every pore of our being, transform every action, every thought, so that as we exhale and breathe out his love, it changes things around us. Because I can't just exhale God's love either. If I just try to... I might be kind, I might be moral, I might be good, I might be gracious, I might be nice, but there is no humanly possible way I can breathe divine love out into this world if I first don't take it in from God the Father, into my heart, into my life, and it begins to transform me, and then I have something of love 
to share to the people around me. Do you remember that fairy tale about the princess that's got a problem and she bumps into a frog and the frog helps her and then she talks to the frog and then she kisses the frog and he turns into what? Remember this one? Turns into a prince, right? So apparently, right, there's this guy, a prince, who gets evil spell put over him and he turns into a frog and the only way he'll be transformed out of that is to have a princess kiss him. I mean, is that not my story and your story? (laughs) That the God of the universe would see this frog with all my slime and all my warts, and he would send his only son, the king, to kiss me? And when he kissed me, he transforms me, and he brings out of me all the potential of who I am as a son or a daughter of the king. And we think that he just kisses us, and we get to keep the kiss? You see, loving like Jesus means I sacrifice to kiss frogs. Because there's a whole lot of frogs around us. Starting with me. Starting with me. You see, the love of God the Father is that He saw me in my worst moments and continues to see me in my worst moments and loves me enough despite my warts and my slime and my stink to say, I'm not going to wait for you to change. It is my love that will change you and make you into the man I want you to be. And now, look around at all the frogs in your life. And instead of being grossed out, ooh, they're gross. I don't like those kinds of Christians, those kinds of people. What does this look like practically? It means there are Christians that think and act differently than you. Kiss them. There are Christ followers who are more mature than you, Christ followers that are immature. There are baby Christians in this place, and there are Christ followers who have been following Jesus forever. What are you supposed to do with one another? Kiss each other? There are Christ followers who worship different than you. What are you supposed to do? Wait for them to be like you? Kiss them. There are Christ followers, are you ready, that vote differently than you. What are you supposed to do? Kiss them. There are Christ followers who are different color skin, different economic, different educational backgrounds, who have a totally different view on the world, and they are following Jesus and doing everything they can. They may have found themselves under a dark spell and discouraged, and you turn your nose up at them? And you reject them and ignore them because they're different than you? When Jesus is like, kiss that frog. Because that is what will unlock in them their kingdom potential. We're so busy accepting the kisses from God, holding the love in our hearts and not sharing it, and we wonder why there's so much disunity and discouragement and hate in our society. If only, instead of ignoring or condemning those who don't smell like us or vote like us or think like us or talk like us, instead of rejecting them, if we might just love. 
I want you to turn your Bibles further towards the back to 1 John. John takes this deeper. 1 John 3, towards the back of your Bible, the Apostle John is going to teach us a little bit more about what this looks like to love like Jesus and kiss frogs. He says in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, verse 18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in the truth. John's saying this is a love that's going to cost us something. It's going to cost. It's not without a cost. That when I see people that are different than me, or people that have needs physically and they're, they're struggling, people that think differently, behave different, worship different, vote different than me, it is costly to my reputation. It may be costly to my pocketbook. It may be costly to my time, to my schedule, to my conveniences. And yet Jesus is saying, don't just love with words. It's active. It's a willingness to sacrifice. To put other people's needs above your own. It is not sacrificing truth. Make me, let me be very clear about that. It's not sacrificing truth, but it is listening, learning, being patient, slow to anger, quick to listen and patient and kind with people and not dismissing because maybe your brother and sister are caught in some kind of darkness and they're waiting for someone to love them enough to be patient enough, to listen enough, and it will cost you to do that. That is what will unlock in them their potential. There's no human way we can do this. Like, I I can't wake up today and decide I'm going to love like Jesus. Tomorrow morning, you can't wake up and go, well, you know what, today I think it'll be my goal to love like Jesus and kiss a couple frogs. Like, ain't going to happen. John gives us the secret to this in the verse we read earlier in John 15, 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, it's vertical, right? As God has loved me, so I have loved you. And he's saying to these disciples, now choose to remain in my love. So there's this vertical and horizontal decision to say, I will remain in the love of Christ. If I'm going to dispense this love, I have to remain in God's love. What, what does that mean? How do we remain in God's love? And Just very practically, here's what this looks like. I think it requires a very daily decision-making. A daily decision-making to actually look at yourself in the mirror. A daily decision to evaluate yourself. To look at the mirror and before you start looking around to all the other Christians and how they're behaving, to actually look at yourself daily in the mirror and evaluate your life to look at the slime in your own life before you would ever think about looking at someone else's. I think Jesus says something about that in the scriptures. Before you spend time picking out someone else's, right? Think about your own, and it's a daily evaluation in the light of scripture, in the light of how I'm supposed to live, how am I living? And it's a willingness to see in the mirror, I fall short all the time with racist thoughts, with slander, with impatience, with arrogance. And it's a daily willingness to evaluate that 
and confess it to God. God, there's a way you want me to live, and I have failed to live that way in attitude and in action. Please forgive me. Asking for his forgiveness and then receiving and accepting his love once again. It says, son, I forgive you. Daughter, I forgive you. As you go through this daily experience of walking with God, evaluating your life against the clear teaching of Scripture and saying, God, where do I fall short and you still love me? Slimy, warty, Joe, frog, you love me? Thank you for forgiving me again. And it's out of that experience and that wealth of love and forgiveness that I might walk into my world and love frogs around me. But without that vertical connection of confession, evaluation, and seeing and accepting the love of God on a daily, how will I ever be able to dispense that to the people around me? I can't I'm not called to be kind to people. I'm called to love people as Christ loved people. And the only way that happens is as I receive that love through confession and evaluation of my own life. You see, I'm tempted to think I'm superior to everyone else, aren't you? I'm tempted to think, oh, I can't love those people. Oh, no, not them. And God's like, Joe, you're those people. You're a frog, and I love you. Now, remain in my love and sacrifice to love other people. What would the world look like? What would the church look like if everyone who calls themselves Christ followers actually loved like Jesus loved? I mean, not to get so so straight, but here we go. What would this past week look like in Washington if everyone who says they're followers of Jesus actually loved like Jesus loved? How different would our country be? How different would our church be, our communities be, our world, if we not sacrificed the truth, but treated people with the same respect and love Jesus has treated this froggy guy? How different, how much more unity, how much more peace, how much more goodness, how much less loneliness and isolation and despair. I'm learning that vulnerability and trust and love is at the core of my relationship with God the Father, and it's also at the core of my relationship with other people. But if I want a friend, and I want a friend, don't you? If I want a friend, I must first be a friend. I mean, this is what Jesus shows us, that if I'm ever going to have a friend, it's not because I wait for someone to be my friend. It's I choose to love people and sacrifice for people. That's what Jesus did. He saw us frogs and says, I will sacrifice first to create the environment where they can be reconnected to this family forever. And in that love and that sacrifice, He changed a bunch of frogs into sons and daughters of the living God who will be with him forever. And we have the opportunity to do that same thing. To the extent that you wait for people to be like you and to love you, you will be lonely and ignorant. But if we could just take the love, breathe it in, and share the love, it radically changes our lives and the kingdom of God moves forward. Would you pray with me?
God, I thank you for your timeless truth of the Bible that never changes. I thank you that you're always doing new things in us and growing us. So for every person who's put their trust in you in this place today, help us to not think it's once and done with your love, once and done with your forgiveness, once and done with your truth, but a daily relationship of truth and evaluation and confession and repentance and accepting your love. For it's then that we can dispense divine love without sacrificing truth. We can dispense divine love to people around us who are caught in darkness. People in the family of God and people outside of the family of God will see your grace and your truth through our love and the love we share for one another. Help us, please. Forgive us, please. Change us, please. I ask this through the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.